everybody, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. My name is Alice and the poem I want to share with you today is one that has been getting me through the last couple of weeks. I discovered it when I was doing a little bit of searching around on the Poetry Foundation's website for an entirely different reason and it's, yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful poem by a US poet called Hilda Morley, who I had never heard of, and I would probably bet that you've never heard of her as well, because she doesn't have a particularly big or wide reputation. But I thought I'd share this poem with you for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it's really fantastic to come across a poem by a poet you've never heard of, partially because it reminds you that you could be a poet who's only written one book or no books and just have a couple of poems out there and you never know when somebody living 20 odd years after you passed away uh, might find your work and it might totally change their perspective. It's this story, the story of Hilda Morley is one of yeah, it seems like a poet who, who gave a lot of her life to other people and didn't manage to get a lot of publishing done until really late in life, but nevertheless had a really big impact on the people that she touched. So a little bit about Hilda. She was born in 1916 in New York and she died in 1998. She was, to quote Wikipedia, which is never wrong, associated with the Black Mountain Movement. I love how whenever the Black Mountain Movement is mentioned, poets are always associated with it, but never part of it. <laughs> I wonder about that. Did anyone actually say they were a Black Mountain poet or is that off limits? Probably somebody did. There's a lot of citation needed stuff in this Wikipedia entry, including as a child, she wrote amazingly precocious work and corresponded with William Butler Yeats no citation apparently that's just something that happened uh so yeah she started writing really young and published a bunch of stuff in journals but she didn't get her first book out until 1976 so she was 60 years old by this point and part of that i think could have something to do with the fact that she spent uh eight or so years caring for her husband who developed Parkinson's in the mid 60s and died in 1972. But after the first book came out, she managed to publish four or five more collections. And in that time and in the time leading up to that, she did appear to have quite a deep impact on poets like Robert Creeley and Denise Levitov people, the people who knew her and knew her work loved it. What Hilda Morley said about writing poems in an interview was that they were a way of giving back what had been given to her. I'll just read you this quote from this interview. She says, I was the channel which rendered back what was offered, a means or an instrument by which they could reach others, other senses and responses. More recently, I began to think of the poems as recordings of lessons I had learned, roadmarks, which could be of help to others. Perhaps there is some moral intent behind this way of thinking. In any case, there is still and always the need to be released from the burden of the experience, 
a notion shared by the prophets of the Old Testament who were driven to speak of what they knew, and by the troubadour poets impelled to sing their joys, their angers, their despairs, their longings. The phrase that stands out to me in that little paragraph is thinking of the poems as recordings of lessons. And as you'll hear when I I read this poem that I came across the other day, there is a sense of neatness, uh, resolution, and yeah, a, a moral to the poem, which I usually resist with every particle in my body. But I really needed this poem the other week. I really, really needed it. And I think I needed to hear its message. And I'm really grateful that I came across it. So it is called Song of the Terrible. And it's from her 1988 book, Cloudless at First, which I don't yet have, but I plan to get my hands on. So I'll read the poem for you now. This is Song of the Terrible. Finally, the fire went up when I'd ceased to worry it, given up entirely on it, rinsing my eyes of smoke tears, my fingers of soot smudges, and turned away completely. Finally then it took, and as the smoke cleared, my head and eyes clearing with it, my heart lightened, and I saw the dark red coloured wine-dark leaf I'd chosen to save for you, deep red as the heart is in its veining, and even shaped like a heart as well. Darkest red in the centre, but winged in the form of a message. And I was reminded of the time when, sewing, I pricked my finger, and the crimson blood of my heart appeared on the skin's surface, and I, thinking, I should be making a song for you. Like the kind they used for ballads when they said, Love, I love, I love you. And what was terrible was simple. So really it's the beginning and the end of this poem that appeals to me the most. The first section is quite spaced out on the page. There's a lot of space around it and a lot of um, line breaks. It looks almost like smoke rising from a fire. And that idea that finally the fire went up when I'd ceased to worry it and given up entirely on it is something that I need to remind myself of daily, sometimes hourly. And the reason for that is that there is so much in my life right now in the lives of the people around me that I have absolutely no influence over, no control over. I can't fix things necessarily in my own life and definitely not in the lives of other people but that doesn't stop me wanting to i am a perfectionist a bit of a control freak and i think i know best a lot of the time and i can definitely give in to a desire to interfere because i feel like it'll make things better so reading those lines finally the fire went up when i'd ceased to worry it given up entirely on it and turned away completely it's just a really important reminder I need to remind myself that things will fix themselves on their own in their own time or even if they don't fix themselves interfering so often creates delays makes things worse makes things more complicated means you end up involved in stuff that you thought you knew how to manage and turns out you've got no idea what you're doing And now you've got an even bigger problem. (laughs) 
and look this isn't just a question of like all the challenges that we're all facing in new coronavirus landscape but like just daily stresses the daily stuff that um would come up anyway in a normal month in a normal year um if we can imagine that you know there's just so much stuff that we yeah so many ways to be stressed out (laughs) just normally (laughs) so many challenges that we go through all the time um i'm trying to think of a good example to share with you something i've tried to interfere with a breakup would be a good example so if you have friends who were together and then they're not uh there's an impulse there to look after the person and take care of them and give them advice and let them know that what they're feeling is valid and uh, help them through in some way. And that's all fine and dandy until it isn't. In my case, I've never really been through a serious breakup. So my advice in that scenario is pretty, uh, pretty light on <laughs> in terms of experience. It doesn't stop me from wanting to give it. And obviously it's important to reiterate here that this is coming from a good place. I know that. And I know that if you're somebody with these tendencies, you know that as well. It's not that you're trying to make things worse. It's not that you're trying to make the fire unable to spark up and come alive. You're trying to start the fire but yeah you're making it's it's harder it's harder for your interference (laughs) and yeah so so the beginning of the poem is is really really brilliant the rest of the poem is made up of two quite dense stanzas which are linked by a tiny little statement which is right aligned and i was which is an interesting little bridge between the stanzas. These two stanzas kind of, they're quite complex in the way that they, they operate. They sort of fold back on one another. She talks about seeing the object, the dark red colored leaf, and then links that dark red color that reminds her of the time when she's sewing and she pricks her finger and the blood of my heart, she says, appeared on the skin's surface. And then that memory, including the thinking, I should be making a song for you, like the kind they used for ballads when they said, love, I love, I love you. So in that final, I love you, she is two, three levels removed from that statement through a thought, a remembrance, the vision of the leaf inside the fire (laughs) it's yeah it's like going going down in stepwise towards this very straightforward and simple statement and that is how the poem ends with the phrase and what was terrible was simple i like the idea that the phrase i love you could be terrible and then simple something that you might worry about something that might keep you awake at night and then all of a sudden seem straightforward and okay but that's true of so many things and 
I love the way that those two lines acknowledge a change in perspective, that if we can get a distance from something, whether it is an emotion, a person, a situation, a news item, uh, if we can get a little bit, of, if we can get a little bit of breathing space from that, from its complication and its difficulty, sometimes when we zoom out, it actually becomes fairly simple and straightforward. The key part of that, I think, is time. So it's not really addressed in the first part of the poem. The fire went up when I'd ceased to worry it. She didn't. She doesn't talk directly about how long it took for the fire to spark up. She just says, and turned away completely. Finally, then it took. So in the poem, it happens in a moment, but in reality, it might take a few seconds or a few minutes and in in our lives I think when we manage to take this action of not taking action of not interfering the challenge is what to do in that time what to do in the blank space that not worrying at something offers you and this is is the other side of the tendency that I struggle with is because I'm a, a doer and a fixer and it feels good to be doing and fixing. It feels productive. And uh, the blank space on the other side of that is much more challenging in some ways than taking action. So... I'll leave you with uh, things that I do when I'm trying not to interfere with stuff. I, at the moment, I put in my headset and I go for a walk and I talk to someone. I go looking for neighborhood cats, which is a creepy habit of mine. I, there's always washing up, unfortunately, but my theory is if I'm washing up, then I'm making something better, not worse. And if I've got a big block of time, and if it's grey outside like it is right now, in the afternoon I just watch a movie. I'm really, really lucky to be able to do that. Uh, Yeah, my schedule is such that some days I just have just a whole bunch of blank space, a whole bunch of time. So I've watched a lot of movies in the last couple of months. But I think all this holds whether you have a lot of blank space to deal with or you're at the moment quite busy. It's amazing how we can find time to try to control things even when it feels like there's no time to do anything extra at all. It doesn't take long to stick something into the fire and (laughs) unfortunately unintentionally make things that little bit worse. So yeah, I don't know if you will relate to this idea, but hopefully it's a useful one. And also I hope that hearing about a poem such as this, which was written by a poet who published relatively late in life and had a modest reputation amongst a particular subset of poets in themselves, hopefully that's heartening if you are 
somebody who, who like me, and I think so many of us, feels that there's a long way to go with poetry and there are many mountains to climb and, and achievements, quote-unquote, to tick off and maybe we'll never get there. And I guess what discovering this poem has reminded me is that you may have already got there and what you write in the early 80s uh, might affect someone in 2020 and make their life just that much easier. We don't know who our audience is going to be and we don't know how our poems are going to affect people. So that's mysterious and maybe unsatisfying, but I think overall a very good thing. So yeah, Song of the Terrible by Hilda Morley. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>